You know what? Sometimes I just want to go back to simpler times and do the kinds of things I used to enjoy, like eating my entire breakfast, going to the bathroom alone, hanging with friends, or even going to the movies. I'm a toddler mom after all. If you'd also like to go back to the movies like me, this coming Friday, The Chosen Season 3 will be in theaters. The theme of Season 3 is, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. As a mom of two toddlers, rest sounds fantastic right about now as well. If you've tuned into previous seasons, you'll know where we left off. And in this new season, you'll see Jesus deliver his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and the consequences that come from living out his teachings. Jesus gains both followers and enemies, leading to lots of tension, new obstacles, and tough questions. But even amidst all this tension and this strife, Jesus gives rest. Episodes 1 and 2 will air in theaters and then be available for free on the Chosen app before Christmas. But wouldn't it be fun to grab some popcorn and see it in the theater? To grab your tickets, go to thechosentickets.com. On this week's episode of Where We Are, we'll talk about Tuesday's elections and why the midterms turned out the way they did. You're listening to Where We Are. You're listening to Where We Are. We are the Where's. I'm Michael. And Melissa, we're, uh, all the races are not decided yet. Votes are still being counted. Uh, but what is clear is that uh, Democrats were able to uh, buck historical trends and stem their losses in the House uh, and potentially, at the time of this recording, perhaps even gain a seat in the Senate. Uh, it was an outcome that was certainly, I, I thought, within the realm of possibility. But let's just state off the top, you know, we in previous elections, when we've sort of been ahead of the curve and I've made predictions that, uh, that, that uh, were... Uh, uh, you know, on the nose, uh, we we made sure to tell folks about that. And uh, we, along with a lot of other people, especially in the closing maybe five, six weeks of this campaign, came to anticipate uh, uh, more significant Republican victories. And that did not that did not happen. We're going to talk in this episode about some of the reasons why, some of the reasons why we actually covered in our episode about why Democrats might have a stronger election than uh, than uh, than they otherwise, you know, uh, uh, might. Uh, you can go back and listen to, we did a two-part series that made sort of the best case for Democrats uh, and the best case for Republicans and Democrats didn't exactly fire on all cylinders. They didn't win everywhere where they could have won, but they, uh, especially um, on the House side, I was, um, it, w- it was really something 
the the moderates at one. But let's let's take a let's take a step back, Melissa. So what we're looking at right now is a forty nine to forty nine seat divide in the Senate. We're waiting on two races: one um, Nevada, where you have an incumbent Democrat facing. Uh, uh, a strong Republican challenger, votes are being counted. It, uh, it, you know, it's we'll we'll get you know ten thousand, five thousand city votes from Las Vegas, and then we'll get votes from the rural sort of areas of Nevada that sort of uh, uh, almost cancel out. But Cortez Mastro keeps keeps on gaining on Adam Lexalt and. Uh, but that's a race folks are watching. And then, again, uh, we'll see in Georgia a runoff between Warnock, Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democratic senator, and Herschel Walker. Neither were able to get 50%. And so the Libertarian candidate will be off the ballot and there will be a special election. And between those two races, uh, we'll, we'll determine who's in control of the Senate. On the House side, still have a number of races being decided, including a mostly out west, a lot of California races still being decided. Uh, but uh, right now, Republicans have, uh, uh, it looks like the most likely scenario is that Republicans gain the seats they need to have a majority in the House, though that is not completely certain at this point. Um, but right now, Republicans have secured 211 seats, Democrats 201, and it could be it could be several weeks before we we have uh, all the ballots are counted in these races that are uh, that are still outstanding. And you need 218 for the majority. That's right. You need 218 for uh, for the majority. And so, Melissa, what what are your what are your sort of what are your reactions? You know, we've had a few days to uh, to to reflect on Tuesday's elections. Obviously, we haven't talked about the governor's races yet, and some of the other interesting races. But but what have been some of the main things that have stuck out to you? Looking looking back on Tuesday, what happened on Tuesday? Well, first of all, I was totally wrong. Three, what was it, three weeks ago I put out my prediction. And to explain why I put out the prediction that I did, uh, for regular listeners, you'll note that um, several episodes ago, maybe about two to two and a half months ago, I mentioned it during one of the episodes that polling has been pretty off for the past decade or so um, in a lot of these elections. You know, we you can't always completely trust polling. And so for me, I thought, you know what, a lot of these polls tend to underestimate Republican candidates a lot of the time. And so I'm going to, you know, there was momentum in terms of just like, you know, the wins were just sort of for the Republicans in the past three weeks. And so I thought these polls are probably underestimating Republicans. So I'm just going to give them a even more of a benefit of the doubt. And then I should have predicted in the opposite direction um, of, of the polling, uh, you know, polling writ large and like in, in some of the major battleground um, races. 
But um, Mark Kelly just won, was just declared yep, in Arizona. Yeah, was just declared the winner. Yep. Um, because at the time of this recording, and I find that race really interesting. I found it really interesting where Democrats and or Republicans spent on certain candidates in the last month or two months, and how they'll probably both parties will go back and look at the mistakes that they made in that way. So like for for the Mark Kelly Blake Masters race. Like Masters, if you remember, especially if you follow our newsletter, we've chronicled that race and that Blake Masters at first was sort of like a rising star, a little bit of a darling, and a lot the GOP was investing quite a bit in him. And then around the summer months, they kind of started giving up on him and thinking, wow, he's a little bit more of a dud than we thought that he would be. And so they stopped investing in him. And then in the last month, they came back to him and started investing more in him again. And I'll just wonder if the GOP will look back at that sort of like waxing and waning of investment in that particular candidate and yeah. regret it. Yeah. And then I think of like Mandela Barnes up in Wisconsin against Ron Johnson, where, you know, one of the big stories since the midterms happened on Tuesday is the dearth in investment that Mandela Barnes received for, on the Democratic side, where a lot of folks are saying that he did better than what they thought that the polls what the polls were saying, but if only the Democrats had actually focused some more of their money there, um, like they had with some other races, that Barnes would have most likely performed better, maybe even had a chance against Johnson. So I, I'm reacting to things like that about how, how the parties will, will look at um, their spending. Um, I, I mean, when it comes to, like... Uh, state level elections so like the secretaries of state like i saw a statistic today that none of the secretaries of state that were running that were election deniers won in the battleground states so you know we saw on tuesday there's this sort of narrative going i don't know michael if you agree with it that um a lot of the election deniers just did not do well um and in terms of the kind of chaos that they could have sown, especially if they came into a position like a secretary of state where they have a obviously a huge say over huge say over elections that, um, you know, had more had some won, especially in these battleground states where we know like the next presidential election in 2024, these battleground states will most likely continue to be those battleground states um, that if some of these secretaries of state um, candidates had won that I, you know, I'd be feeling a bit more nervous about going into 2024. Um, and then the final thing that I'll say is it's been fascinating. I mean, first of all, Twitter has just been, has just been a state over the past couple of days um, for anybody who is not on social media at all, or specifically not even on Twitter, but maybe on other social media platforms, Elon Musk within like what two weeks that he's owned Twitter his blue check mark, eight dollars for blue check mark. Anybody gonna can get a blue check mark thing? Completely, completely just. I mean, I'm trying to think of the right word of just how poorly it went because Musk let go of his communications team um, last week. He let go of a lot of his developer team, a lot of his engineers, the people who keep Twitter just going, keep it safe, keep the messaging going. Because a bunch of people signed up over the past three days as fake accounts. Um, looking like actual real people, like senators, companies, um, company stocks are falling because people think that these fake accounts are tweeting out from the real company accounts. But anyways, there's that. Uh, uh, that's going on on Twitter. But it's been fascinating watching both the media, so official media, um, especially on the right, 
Um, and then the Twitter chatter about around President Trump and how it's gone down. And with the just surefire win of Ron DeSantis that happened on Tuesday as well, his just clear, clean victory of how his star has suddenly popped up, risen, that he's the new star of the GOP, that Trump is a liability, Trump is a problem. Uh, just watching... Um, you know, uh, I saw one post where somebody collected the Rupert Murdoch-owned um, news sources, um, their like front pages or their headlines about the liability of Trump, and just um, seeing the sort of turn that a lot of like the pundits on in the GOP and like the you know the influencers and like the the analysts are just sort of turning on the president and you know glomming on to like this new star even though ron DeSantis has been around a while 2024 is he's been in the 2024 mix for you know a good year year and a half now so uh, but that has been fascinating to watch because it's i i don't know about listeners but still you know even working in politics for such a long time it's always funny when you think about especially um major politicians, major political stars like President Trump. And you always think they're just going to continue, you know, they're just a juggernaut. How will they ever be taken down? You know, how will they ever sort of lose their star power? You can, Sometimes it's still, it's really hard to imagine. And then just over the past few days, how quickly things have turned. It's always just well, really fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how we've had these little flashpoints before where sure. it's like oh they're they're gonna turn on trump i i i need to see i need to see a a, a bit more i i will say you know trump is supposed to you know i think he was expecting big wins and so he preemptively sort of announced a major announcement mm-hmm. next week that mm-hmm. uh, that's basically he's been pretty transparent it's that uh, announcing a campaign for the presidency. Uh, and, you know, to your point, this doesn't seem like the best timing for that, but it it could be a turn for him if he announces and we see, oh, actually, there are a lot of folks in the Republican Party who will endorse him out of the gate, who will say, you know, the the... Uh, the field should clear for him. So oh, it's yeah. going to be, it's going to be like a big test over the next week. It will. Like who's, you know, what is the reaction? Does Ronna McDaniel, the head of the RNC, mm-hmm. you know, does she respond to it by welcoming Donald Trump to the field? Or does she say, you know, uh, uh, ov- you know, obviously he's, he's the presumed nominee because he was, was uh, the leader of our our party uh it, it that's gonna be super interesting by the way the same day of president trump's uh, former president trump's announcement uh will be when uh his vice president's book comes out mm-hmm. uh when mike pence's book yeah, comes I saw out that pointed out a few days ago so that's gonna oh, be boy. fascinating well, I mean, if Twitter survives <laughs> through yeah, the time of which is the rumored, open question, the rumored time of when he should be announcing, I'll be very fascinated to see. Obviously, if Twitter is not around, then I will be looking obviously only to headlines and seeing um, how he how his announcement is received. Yeah, but right. do you think he's going to announce after this? Uh, I do. Disappointing show. Yeah, I do. I think so too. I, I think, do. I, think I don't so think he well. could resist. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he's 
he's still pulling far ahead. Now, you know, some of these polls have DeSantis, you know, 10, 15 points behind. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, it really, it really, uh, I don't think he, he, he could resist looking at a poll. Uh, because remember, when he ran in 2016, he was polling at like nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for him to look at a poll that, that shows he, he's still the desired leader from a plurality of Republicans, at least according to some polls, I think he'll jump in. Now, just to put a finer point, so one of the reasons why there's this sort of criticism uh, of Trump is that so many of his endorsed candidates lost. Uh, mm -hmm. Do Dr. Oz in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, uh, Herschel Walker, uh, uh, you know, Carrie, Carrie Lakes still in a in a in a in a in a tough Tight race. Yeah. Uh, that that race has not been decided yet. That's in Arizona. In, in Arizona, um, so uh, you know, major candidates. You're probably you know the Senate Republicans taking back the Senate uh, fell on some of these candidates that that Trump really threw his his weight behind, and so so yeah, there's a lot of discontent. Uh, Melissa, I think it was. Because there were these narratives of Republican momentum, which uh, you know we we were uh, like we we I, I, I've been trying to think like what was the because you made the prediction I, I didn't quite I wasn't quite confident yet I think what was the turning point for me was when. We started seeing these polls in Wisconsin mm -hmm. that showed Ron Johnson pulling away. Yeah, and so uh, uh, that to me was like a oh the crime stuff is having a mm -hmm. the crime ads are having an impact in Wisconsin. If they're having an impact in mm -hmm. Wisconsin, they'll have an impact uh, in a lot of other places. For, uh, for me, you know, predicting three weeks out, which, you know, was a long time out, it was the Fetterman-Oz race where Oz was right. starting to pull in a little bit closer, right around three. And I thought, And oh. Fetterman had the shaky debate debate yes. performance. Yeah, mm-mm, okay. Yeah, and, uh, but they held on. We did see crime have an impact in New York. Yes. Uh, Hochul held on. Yeah. Hochul will be elected to a full term as governor. Mm -hmm. But, ooh, got it. It, you know, when the race was called, she was up by, I think, like 15 points. But by the time the votes were all counted, she only won that race by five points. At least the last mm -hmm. time I, I looked. And it was, um, uh, and it was crime and COVID mm -hmm. that those two issues seem to have a big impact in New York. But we didn't see that national impact. Mm hmm. Uh, it, it was it was super interesting what had salience where. Yep. I think we do have to say, well, just to, in Florida, that was another strong state for Republicans. That was a state where you, where you did have a red wave. Uh, I mean, DeSantis winning by double digits, I believe. Marco Rubio, yeah, uh, absolutely. Both races had a were called immediately. Very clear win, and then you saw um, 
Republicans just dominate among the the Cuban vote. Yeah. Uh, and so you thought, uh, is is this a, a, a Cuban Cuban the the Cuban vote has always been uh, well not I don't want to say always but it has always been or, or um, in in recent history has favored Republicans more than other portions of the Hispanic community. But because Florida comes in early, you think, oh, is this a Hispanic trend that we're going to see carry into Nevada, Arizona, mm-hmm. some of these house races in Texas uh, that we've we've talked to you all about? And it didn't, you know? Uh, Republicans did not dramatically increase their portion of the vote among Hispanic voters. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just, it was... Uh, it was really interesting. I think one thing we haven't talked about in this episode yet, abortion was clearly a big piece of, a big reason why Democrats did not take losses that they otherwise would have. And we're going to see this debate sort of unfold unfold there's all there's already been a lot but but really it's going to require a digger a bigger uh, a deeper dig into the numbers here here's sort of my preliminary uh, so i think one there was a stronger abortion effect in states where uh, where republicans had enough power or the state laws, the state constitution made it possible for an abortion ban to be likely. So we didn't see abortion centered in New York because New York's abortion law, like like um, New York's abortion laws, seem pretty stable, uh, regardless of Dobbs. But I think you look at Michigan. You you look at um, you look at Pennsylvania. Uh, mm-hmm. You look at um, uh, Colorado, where you know f- for a little bit you thought, "Oh, Bennett might be in a tough race," but Bennett ended up winning pretty Handling. pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so uh, in especially in states where that. Uh, it, it was possible that if Republicans won, that laws might change. It seemed like that issue was just absolutely crucial for the Democrats winning. I do think here, here here's the main message I received from from this election, which is that uh, voters actually applied like a certain level of. Um, they just said, like, we're not going to accept the terms of debate as the politicians give them. Uh, And we can only take so much crazy. Like, if you question election results, I, I don't care what you have to say about Democrats spending too much. You you really need to convince me that that you're that you're not crazy, and then we could talk about inflation. 
You know, like then I can vote on uh, on critiques of Democrats wanting taxes too high. But for a lot of sort of it, it, it's Democrats won independence nationally and state after state. Democrats were winning independence in the in a midterm, the first midterm uh, after a Democratic president was elected. I mean, that that's just wild. It really is. Uh, and to me, it was just voters saying, look, you want to talk about these other issues. You Republicans, you need to have you need to be able to convince yes conservative republicans they're you've convinced them good but republicans need to convince independents and moderate voters that they can be trusted and and until that trust question is settled until the uh you'll be against january 6 and not sort of indifferent or you know sort of uh, lending credence to it, like until those kinds of questions are answered, then yeah, we we don't agree with Democrats on a lot of things. I mean, I, I mean, you look at the issue polls, for, uh, the issue exit polls, and Republicans were favored on so many issues. They were favored on the economy. They were favored on immigration. They were favored on crime. They were favored uh, so on uh, gender issues and national exit poll. 50% of Americans believe the conversation around gender is moving in a negative direction. But guess what? No one's voting on that, or very few people are voting on that, if they think you can't be trusted to uphold like basic governance and rule of law and be trusted to uh, uh, concede elections when you lose and, and, and those kinds of things. That was the, that was the main message. I think Democrats ought to be careful not to overinterpret this. I mean, to be clear, they—they're uh, they're, going to lose the house. They're going to lose the house. <laughs> um, Let us not forget. Yeah, and you know they—they were—they were given the stakes that they set on this election. Uh, uh, like it, it wasn't a clean sweep. Like I—I I feel like Democrats are. Um, being a little too celebratory. Yes, they stopped a huge defeat, but this was not like a ringing endorsement of Democrat uh, Democrats' agenda. It was, yeah, we don't we don't trust the party of of Trump. Like independents are still turned off from from Trump. All it takes is the Republican Party, like you suggested, Melissa, mm -hmm. pivoting and convincing. They're not going to convince Democrats. Democrats are going to run against Trump for the next three elections if mm -hmm. they can until yeah. until they lose. Like they'll keep on. But can Republicans convince independents that there is leadership in the party that is not uh, uh, MAGA? That is that is upholding uh, sort of norms and can bring us back to can contribute to a kind of normal that I think has been so attractive to independents, uh, many of them, about Biden. So, yeah, I mean, I think that th those are some of the messages I take, that this is not uh, a sweeping sort of endorsement of Democrats. I actually think one of the interesting things is how, 
how durable Biden's image as a centrist is, even when he does not run like one. Uh, like, I think one of the benefits of having, to Democrats politically, of having Biden leading the party is that voters are actually, um, there's a resistance for voters to accept Republican attacks that Democrats are extreme because they just kind of go, wait, if 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 this party led by, you know, Joe Biden, you know, if Joe Biden's extreme, you know, that the really where where are we? You know, I actually think some of the Republican attacks would hit harder if everything was the same, except for Joe Biden not being the head of the party. Uh, it, so that that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, Melissa, any any uh, anything else stick out to you from that, or any other races we haven't talked about? Yeah, I'll, uh, just a couple more things, but just to what you just said, you used the word pivot, and I I think that's the exact word that I was looking for before. I I always knew that a pivot would happen away from Trump it would happen at some time it just yeah, it's, right. it's yeah, literally sure. it's literally inevitable yeah, um right. i just didn't understand how or when but it one of the things why i pointed it out is just because of how again we i agree with you nothing is set in stone this could turn out to be not a real pivot this could just be blustering after you know licking your wounds after the fact kind of thing um but if it is i mean politics is just so can you even I for me maybe I should maybe I shouldn't say anything further because I'm you know it's something that might not actually be happening but for me <laughs> um if you're ever wondering if I, I mean Michael you can speak for yourself here but if you ever wonder if I myself struggle with cynicism in politics I do because I think about the fact that Donald Trump came in and did what he did we had an insurrection in the Capitol within like three days we could pivot like this <laughs> I, uh, yeah um what do you mean within three days we could pivot like this? Um, pivot to another candidate and say, you know, Trump Oh, is I get viable. what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like, at, like January 6th wasn't enough. Everything that we saw during the Trump, but Republicans take a couple unexpected losses. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, we, we need to move on from this, this guy. guy. This, no, I totally, this, I'm totally This dude's toxic all yeah, of a right, sudden. Right, it's right, like, right. okay. Yes, yes. Anyways, sorry. Well, um, it shows <laughs> how... Uh, how power oriented the whole yeah, the whole thing is, ridiculous. right? So long, and that's as, why I say cynicism inducing, and I'll work on that over the next week, probably. Well, I'll, I mean, I think it's reason for <laughs> for cynicism, which is like, right? So long as he was delivering uh, uh, power, Some supreme wins. So long as he was delivering wins, and so long as people, so long as re Repub other Republicans in power feared losing their power if they didn't go along, uh, then we saw acquiescence. But but what it required was, well, and again, I'm not convinced that, but l let's say that Trump's uh, announcement, let's say A, that he does announce he's running for president, and B, let's say that the red carpet isn't rolled out for him across the party you know the 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 reason you'd have to take from that is, it it was because a a a crack came through in the midterms, and that crack was uh, th this this idea that um, uh, Trump 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 isn't a kingmaker. 
that Trump uh, that Trump's attacks are 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 weakening that people can stand up to him. I mean, I think most significantly, you know, uh, Kemp absolutely. Uh, I mean, he, he didn't. You know, uh, Abrams ran a, a strong race. I mean, Georgia's still Georgia. But, you know, Kemp won by eight points. It wasn't a close. It wasn't close. No, it wasn't no, a nail-biter. And uh, Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, I mean, he won by a landslide. Yep. And so you start seeing these Republicans distancing themselves from Trump and still getting Republican votes. Mm-hmm. And other Republicans start to go, maybe there is a path. Sununu, Chris Sununu in yeah. New Hampshire. Uh Winning, but I mean, just uh, he's an incredible politician. Huge margins in New Hampshire. And so that's interesting. One thing I wanted, because we've talked so much about these races, you know, Spanberger. Well, I was about to say you need to comment on Spanberger. Spanberger wins in Virginia. A moderate Democrat winning. I just, I'm kind of, my, my mind is blown on that. Henry one. Cuellar oh, yeah. wins in Texas. Vicente Gonzalez beats Myra Flores yes. in Texas. So, so he, here, here's the interesting thing, right? Um, usually, it's like the moderates are the first ones to go because they're in the vulnerable district. But, but I think it's. It, it's moderates who saved Democrats from huge losses in these elections. It's these moderates who ran smart campaigns, who ran campaigns attuned to their districts, who were willing to provide some Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan, uh, um, uh, uh, Hillary Hillary, uh, I think it's Schulten uh, in Peter Meyer's old district in Michigan. Um, there were just a number, of, especially at the House, at the House level, of these moderate Democrats who, who ran solid races and were rewarded for it. And that was, it was really promising. We should mention uh, one Democrat who ran and... Uh, lost probably the biggest <laughs> loss that Democrats face in terms of you know just Sean, I know exactly who you're talking Sean about. Patrick Maloney the guy I've been complaining about on this podcast for the last few weeks I mean everybody's he, saying he did lose he did lose his his strategy won even though I think it's completely yes, the I worst mean, strategy well it's just such like a, yeah I mean you know he he. Had he kept his seat, he would have been he would have been running for a majority or mm-hmm. uh, or a minority leader. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean potentially minority leader or the whip, um, because you know if you're head of the campaign arm and you're successful, that's a stepping stone to greater leadership, which he would have been set up to do if he would have won. <laughs> you know, uh, Sorry. It's always seen. But yeah. Yeah, you just know, I, wild. Yeah, I that he, mention- he he did a New York Times interview in which he like oddly blamed AOC yes. and and sort of just like 
used his swan song to I, to just rail against AOC. It's like, AOC, oh, okay, she's still going to be in Congress, and you and AOC clapped are not. Back hard. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> oh, she did. It was. It was. I bet. Yeah. I mean, she's really good at that in the first place. Um, yeah. Speaking of AOC, do you, the last thing that I want oh, to highlight? Oh, Lauren Underwood one. Oh yeah, Lauren. Underwood. Lauren yes. Underwood. We love yeah, yeah, yeah. Lauren Underwood. Okay. Um, uh, speaking of AOC, the last thing that I want to mention on my end is that we now have the first Gen Z member of Congress, Max Frost in Florida, representative. Yeah. So Gen Z is now going to be represented by one person so far in Congress. Um, I mean, I think that's enough for now. <laughs> for now, he's I mean, 25. Yeah, I mean, Gen Z is I'm, still I'm quite super young. glad for the representation, but I mean, yeah, I mean, let's not act like... Uh, Gen Z's like, I mean, they're underrepresented be- because they're they're twenty five. Um, no, I yeah. mean that, but um, I think it's going to be historic, real, historic that but, he got it. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the media covers him versus how like they covered the squad because the squad is I view as like the sort of millennial progressive group, whereas he's going to be the lone progressive on Gen Z, and I'm, it's going to be so interesting I think to see how they're both covered and how the squad is still covered. Um, That's an interesting point. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be super fascinating. Um, and does the squad let him in? Uh huh. That's the next thing I was gonna say. Is you know, does the squad work with? Does him? he want? Does he, does he, he want to work with the squad? I don't know, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, but to, speaking of that, talking about the youth vote, it's also been fascinating to watch the coverage of youth. Of I'm the, glad you raised this. Um, because uh, we saw. Uh, um, the the best at, the most millennial way that I could put this is trying to make fetch happen, um, saying that like oh the youth, you, you know the young vote drove Democrats to win. Well, Democrats and are obsessed with this, and I, I, yes. I know and have been for, forever. Like when millennials were like because the this because age. the vibes it gives them. Yes, exactly. Um, and so obviously there's a lot of people disagreeing on that when you look at the actual numbers um 2022 to compared to 2018 2018 actually did have record high young voter turnout compared to 2022 2022 had less but the trend that i'm seeing that i think is interesting again this has been a trend for a while but it continues to grow is that when young people do vote they vote democratic they lean democratic and that seem Democrats seem to be, by and large, sort of starting to run away with that. So, you know, it's almost like Democrats want to speak into being. We know the power that this could have, so we want to talk about how we're we're leading record high turnout. When that's not the case in 2022, we still have to see a lot more numbers. There's still plenty more votes to be counted. And I think somebody will have to sit down and really... Really yeah, yeah, yeah. get the final numbers to, so that we're conclusive on this. But so far, 2018 has had a higher turnout. But when you, young people have been showing up, they vote Democratic. Yeah, by significant margins, especially, yeah, that like 18 to 21 even yes. to go like that specifically. Then you could scan out to 18, Now, of course, there's always a question about whether that holds into the future. But yeah, no, Democrats love to be able to say... Uh, because it all it goes with the narrative of progress, goes with the you know we're we're representing you know the the next generation. We're on the cutting edge. Da da da. And I, I was glad that some folks who were digging into the numbers were like, hold on, let's uh, uh, let's make sure if we're going to make these grandiose claims that they're grounded in 
in reality, and it mm-hmm. doesn't seem that they doesn't seem that they are. Um, I, you know, I I think, um, you know, I I do think that uh, women's vote was was influential in this election. Yeah. We did see Democrats have a, a pretty big gap uh, advantage among unmarried women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I think that's something that Republicans are going to have to are, are going to have to look at moving forward. But yeah, I mean, so we're, we're going to have um, we'll be able to test out what I've been saying on this podcast for, gosh, I think a year now, which is uh, for President Biden's first two years, he has not had a significant foil in the in the opposing party. Party, he's been forced to negotiate with the left flank of his own party and with Joe Manchin, and that is not. Uh, Joe Biden is not going to thrive politically. In that environment, he could thrive in terms of what le, what legislation he's able to move forward. But politically, it's just it's just tough. I think there's a real chance that his numbers improve uh, with a Republican-controlled House. Uh, the Biden administration. Uh, is expressing great confidence coming out of Tuesday's elections. President Biden held a press conference on Wednesday in which he uh, pretty strongly indicated that he's leaning towards running again for president. I've suggested in the past, let let the first 100 days of the new Congress play out, assess where you are, and then make a decision based on that. I do think... Um, I, 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 obviously he's, he's, he's the president. He has the right to, he has the right to run if he, if he wants, uh, if he, if he decides to run. Uh, and I, I think, uh, I, I think they'll be taking a really close look at how, uh, how he's doing a hundred days into the new session of Congress and Biden himself personally is going to be, I think, much more inclined to run if he sees on the other side President Trump is is running a, a viable and uh, you know is likely to represent his party. Biden would not be able to live with himself if he didn't run like he didn't run in 2016, and Trump won again. Like I, I just don't think if Biden has air air in his body, <laughs> you know, uh, he's gonna run just because he he won't. He won't want to uh, have a, a replay of 2016 when he he feels that if he had run in 2016, Donald Trump would have never been president in the first place. Yeah, I and it'll be super. And just the very last thing is, <clears throat> you said this to me: the approval rating bump that um, he may receive, not just from this election, but over the first 100 days, will be really helpful to that decision making as well. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it will, it will. And he, uh, even just the midterm campaign, we saw him rise from 
mid to high 30s to 45. And I, I would expect to see, you did ask me this question, uh, if, if I thought his approval rating would rise even just because of the election results. And I'd say, yeah, I would not be surprised to see him in the high 40s. So he's at like 45 now, sometimes 43, 42. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him at 48, 49. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he could hit 50 by by Christmas. Um, yeah. It's going to be a lame duck session. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna ride this this wave. He's on an international trip now. International trips are often good for political uh, approval rating back home. So yeah, so we'll we'll see how this develops. But we'll have a we'll have a new Congress in January and a new state of play. Uh, but uh, we we thank you for sticking with us through midterm coverage. It's been so great answering your questions, hearing what you all thought. We did a live thread for the midterms at reclaiminghope.substack.com that I think was the best we've ever done. I mean, it was so many of y'all hopped in there. It was just a great conversation all night. uh, And uh, we really enjoyed doing midterms coverage uh, for you and with you. Uh, And uh, Ed, you know, that, that coverage will continue now into the lame duck session and as this presidential race starts to percolate. Uh, all right, that's all we have for this episode of where we are. Um, oh, one last thing, which is we've gotten some great audience questions, so I wouldn't be surprised if next week we did we did another Q&A uh, episode, uh, and so that should be good too. All right, folks. It's uh, It was great being with you. Thanks for listening. This has been Where We Are. Bye. I still wanna turn up. Yeah, I still wanna turn up.